So we are in the book of Revelation. If you are new, welcome. Glad you're here. If you're watching online, maybe you're watching online and it's like 10 years from now. Yes, we did dress like this back then. Um, Whatever, however you are hearing today, the goal is to hear from him. To have your heart tuned in to a frequency that is his. I was reminded of a movie. It's kind of weird. You start to realize that you're getting older and that the things that you're calling reference to, and especially when you say them, you're like, do you know this movie? Your kids are like, what? Um, so there's a movie. Uh, I just have this image here of an old ham radio um, called Frequency. Anybody seen Frequency? Yes. I love this movie. So this is what I thought about. Jim Caviezel stars in this movie. The movie is from 2000. I was like, wow, 23 years ago, which doesn't feel like that long, but that's a long time ago. And my kids are like, what were you guys doing way back there in olden times? <laughs> in the year 2000. But he is an older guy that in his probably late 30s, his life hasn't gone well. He lost his dad when he was younger and he died. And so things have followed suit. It's been difficult. And he remembers that his dad used to do this thing where he would get out this ham radio and it was expensive and the knobs were big and you don't touch this. This is something that only dad does, but he would sneak in and listen to his dad talk to people. So the movie, it's a great movie. Um, and I won't be giving away the plot, even though it's probably okay to give away the plot. It's 23 years ago, but I'm not going to give you the whole thing, but I'll give you a part of it. He pulls out the radio and he's literally that night, he's like drinking. He's just so had it. I think he's broken up with his girlfriend. It's just like, this stinks. Life stinks. I don't care. And he plugs this thing in and flips it on to see if it still works. And it does. And there's somebody talking on it. And he's like, I didn't even, he like actually gets on there. He goes, I didn't think people use these things anymore. And he hears the person on the other side and it sounds familiar. And of course, outside the Aurora Borealis is happening. And so there's some weird stuff happening in the air. And all of a sudden this, on the other side of the radio, he hears a little kid run into the room and the dad calls him little chief. And he's like, Hey, what, what did you say? He said, oh, that's my, that's my son. Sorry, I just call him little chief. He goes, my dad. Dad? It's his dad. He's talking to his dad in the past. And you just see his face just goes from despair and hurt and brokenness to, is this real? Is this actually happening? Am I talking to somebody that loves me, that I miss so much, that I long for, that I wish I could hear from? So that's kind of just the setup for the movie. There's a whole lot of stuff that goes on, but that's what I thought about when I thought about this book and the passages for this week and how I have been interacting with the words in the book of Revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus. You are to be, I am to be tuned in to pull the old radio out of the closet and to say, do people even use these things anymore? And to turn the page and to say, okay, can you speak to me? And the Lord would say, oh yeah. And it's him and he knows you and he knows 
what you need to hear and by the Spirit of God, not because somebody's clever enough to teach it, but by the Spirit of God. He uses His Word and it grabs us. It, it tackles us. And so our job today, all it is just to listen. Just to listen to the Spirit. Not me. To listen to the Spirit of God and to say, what do you want to say to me today? So we're in Revelation chapter 2, uh, verse 18. And it's so great because he actually makes it super easy. This is the easy part of the book. This is the part of Revelation that everybody preaches on. Revelation 1 through 3, everybody preaches on Revelation 1 through 3 because he's like talking to churches. He's saying really specific things. And then everybody stops at 4. We're not going to stop at 4. We're going to do it. It'll be fun and difficult and probably disagree on how we interpret things. That's okay. But so these are easy because he's actually talking to churches. And so it's Thyatira, Thyatira. I don't know how you say it, but... You can just go ahead because this is to the church universal. It's to them. We're going to talk about what was going on there, but it's also to you. And so when you hear these first few verses, I want you just to say, okay, Lord, I'm listening and it's to me. It's to me. This morning, it's for me. Revelation chapter two, verse 18. Let's read together. Listen along. If you have a Bible, if you've got your little journal, uh, or you can just, you can honestly close your eyes and listen. And ask the Lord to speak. So this is Jesus talking to John. And he says, write to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, your faithfulness, your service, your endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. You've been growing. I see it. It's, you've been increasing in your growth and your love for me, but I have this against you. And then it gets a little interesting. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. And then all of us would be like, wait a minute. The signal just broke, Lord. I don't know. What are you talking about? We'll get there. Who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent she doesn't want to repent of her sexual immorality. So I will throw her into a sick bed. Hey, Jesus, aren't you nice? And those who commit adultery with her into great affliction, unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. Hello. Jesus is getting intense. Then all the churches will know, I bet they will, that I'm the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, because there were some who weren't doing this, who don't hold to this teaching, who haven't known, and I love this because he kind of mocks, he goes, the so-called secrets that Jezebel is saying. And he actually goes, and they're secrets of Satan is what they are. As they say, I'm not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers, which little side note there, the Greek word for conquer is nikeo, N-I-K-E-O, where Nike gets their little swoosh, victory, to the one who conquers. So wear your Nikes um, and keeps my works to the end. I will give him authority over the nations and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I've received this from my father, I will also give him the morning stars, reference to himself. Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear this is a refrain that you're going to hear. Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who has ears to hear, listen 
to what the Spirit says to the church. So why is Jesus speaking? What is he doing here, standing in the middle of his church? What is he wanting them to know? So today's title is, Can I Have a Word With You? Now, when somebody says that to you, in your experience, I think it's probably the same as mine, they're not saying, hey, let's hang out. Let's talk. Hey, we should talk soon. When they say, can I have a word with you? What does that mean? You're like, okay. <laughs> okay. It's serious. There's a soberness to it. This can't wait. There are things on the line here. Relationship, the stakes are high. I really need to have a word with you. This is what Jesus is doing. But he's not there to threaten. He's not there to shame. He's not there to throw a guilt trip. He's there out of deep love for them to give them spiritual direction, to give them a warning, to answer difficult questions about life, which they have. And so what does he say? Thus says the Son of God. If you hear just that today, the Son of God is speaking to you. Imagine him coming into your room saying, hey, thus says the Son of God to you, Chad. This is what I want you to know. You'd be like, mm, mm-hmm, I'm listening. A little side thing there, Domitian, the Caesar of the time, was known to be a god. He called his son the son of God. And on coins, and you this other image of the God who holds the seven stars in his hand, on the coins were the son of God the, of Domitian, and guess what he had in his hand? Seven stars. So Jesus is no dummy. He's kind of hitting cultural things of the time, but he's also saying, I'm the real son of God talking to you. His eyes are like a fiery flame. His feet are like burnished bronze. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but if you weren't here, and a reminder for those of us who heard it already, we need to hear it again. He says it about himself. What does it mean? He sees through everything in your life. There's not one part of you that he doesn't know. One thought that you have kept hidden from everybody else, he knows it. He knows it. The secret sins that you struggle with, he knows all of them. Every single one, he sees right through his feet, burnished bronze. He's the kingdom of the king that will stand forever, but also he stands against and stomps on things that are not of his kingdom. So when Jesus says, with his fiery eyes and his strong burnished bronze feet, I know you, I know your works, he really, really does. He really does know you. The things that you might think you're hiding, but also your needs and your, your aches and your longing. And so I just got stuck right on this first part. I know your works. So look at this. He's describing this church. Works of love, faithfulness, service, endurance in my kingdom. And that you're growing. Your last works are greater than the first. And so I just wrote this in my notes. That's a pretty good list. Even before they get to the problems, it's a really good list for like you look at people that would, if I looked at you or you looked at my life and you said, hey, Chad is somebody who loves the Lord. He's faithful to Jesus. He is serving the Lord and he's enduring in the kingdom. You'd, I'd be like, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, yeah. Something to be proud. Like I'm really serving. But I did ask this. Can I say that about me? Can, I, can you say that about you? Like just before you even get to the correction, are those things present in your life? Just something to think about. Would you be characterized by somebody who loves the Lord? You're faithful to him. You serve him. You're enduring. And then he's got other things to say to bring correction. But are those part of you? Is the fruit of the Spirit 
evident in your life? Is God moving and growing in your life? Even because he wants to do things beyond the basics, but are the basics there? Are there greater works in your walk with Jesus? Meaning, can somebody look at you last year and then look at you today and say, you know what? You've really grown. Now, it's hard to hear that, isn't it? I have people come to me and say, you know what? I really have seen you grow. And you're like, thanks? You mean you were thinking this of me the whole time? Like, it's hard to hear, but it's also, you know what I've learned to do? I mean, I'll just say, you're right. I am growing. And I hope you guys are okay with this, but I'm going to be a pastor who's always wanting to grow and always wanting to know that there are problems with me. <laughs> and I need the Lord to say of me, Chad, you're, you're progressing. So that's before any correction has even happened. But then you hear these words, but I have this against you. I have this against you. So we're going to talk about Jezebel. But first, just let the phrase sink in and put your name there. Chad, I had this against you. Just for a moment, your life, your world, your thoughts, your prayer life, prayerless life, your life of devotion or not very much, the things you struggle with. What would he say this morning? And you might say, well, how can I know? There's the psalm that says, search me, O God, know me. See if there's any way in me that's offensive. I have that in my morning prayer thing. It's just when I get to that part, especially with the Lord's prayer, you know, forgive me. I ask God, search. Is there anything in me that's offensive? And you will, well, how do I know? How do I know? And so this, this has been consistent for me in my life. Usually it's the first thing that comes to your mind. And it's the thing you try to dismiss right away. It pops right in and you're like, no, <laughs> you're, no. And you'll even like try to find another one that's not as bad. And you're like, Lord, yeah, I really like, here's our, here's the one that we think is not a big deal, but we're, we're okay to confess. Yeah. You're in a small group. People are going around sharing things they need prayer for. Oh, just pride, man. Just really struggling with pride. And everybody's like, mm, yeah. Where like, if you look in scripture, it's like the number one sin. Whereas if somebody said, yeah, I, I, I killed somebody yesterday. I'm really sorry. Can y'all pray for me? Yeah, we're going to make a call too. <laughs> but we say pride and it's like, oh yeah. So the thing that you thought of before you wanted to do the nice answer of pride and that makes your heart beat fast and that when you leave here today, you don't remember anything else I said, but God pointed that out and said, yeah, we got to take care of this. That's the place. I have this against you. So you, you do this application thing right away when you hear God speaking to people. So what does he have against them? He says this, and he uses a name. This is kind of a clue to how to interpret things in Revelation it's not necessarily finding out who is the Jezebel or the whore of Babylon that we're going to find out later. Who's that one person in history? It's who is Jezebel like? Who is like her? Who is like the lawless one? Who is like Babylon? Not that there won't be actual 
like people doing those things, but just that's the first thing you want to ask and you want to ask it of you. Who is like Jezebel? So who was Jezebel? Old Testament, she led and supported, actually like paid for 850 false prophets. 850. And what she said was, you can worship Baal and Yahweh. Go ahead. No big. Both. We live in a both and world, so let's just mix it up. Mixing gods, allegiances, pluralism. Boy, she'd fit right in our culture, wouldn't she? You mix whatever you want. But Elijah, 1 Kings 18 said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. You can't mix. But Jezebel likes to mix. And so Jesus is saying there's a Jezebel, there's a person, or there's a movement. There are several maybe that are teaching this. They're, they're modeling this. And it's kind of this where Jesus calls her this name. It's kind of like, we know this. We know people do this. Like when somebody says like a name, like don't be a Judas. What does that mean? Don't be a traitor. You know, okay, Adolf. You heard that one? Oh, okay, Hitler. People are like, hey, nobody names their kids Judas and Adolf. Right? It's because... We know the connotation that goes with it. So Jesus is doing the same thing. They, they would have been familiar. When, so when he says Jezebel, they're like, oh, man, right. You can't have both. So what did this look like in Thyatira? This city had a huge place of commerce. If you know your New Testament, you know Lydia, the purple cloth girl. She was from Thyatira big place of commerce, lots of business. Here's the thing though. If you wanted to be in business in Thyatira, you had to be a part of what were called trade guilds. Kind of like unions, these groups, you want to sell, you got to be a part of the groups. Okay, fine. I'll do that. No big. Where do I sign? It's like, oh, it's not just that. We have special meals together. We have special worship service things together. And so you'd have to be, if you wanted to sell, if you wanted to be successful in Thyatira, in your life, you wanted to make a living, you had to be in a trade guild, which meant you were a part of something that dishonored Jesus. You would be at a meal and they'd be like, hold on a second before we partake, we're just going to offer this up to this God. And, you know, we've got some prostitutes over here that you can sleep with. And we kind of like... This is what was happening. So we see sexual immorality and eating food sacrifice to idols. That's what they're talking about. It's, it was, but it wasn't because you may be thinking, well, I, I'm not committing sexual immorality. I don't even like meat. And so I'm not, I'm good, right? I'm not doing the thing, which what we need to do is ask the deeper question. And this is always what scripture wants you to do. You don't say, well, I didn't do that thing. Jesus says, it's not just doing that thing. It's what you thought and where it came from. And so it was about worship. It was about allegiance to someone else. And so you ask the question, not why did I watch that on Netflix last night? It's what was underneath? What was there? Why was I thinking I need to see this? 
Or why did I make that compromise in my business? Why did I make that compromise with that person? Why did I lie? Why did I pretend that, yeah, I took a little credit for that. That's what he's going after, which is interesting. Jesus, what are you, what are you doing? Messing in the Monday through Saturday stuff. What are you doing? This is, that's not what we do. So whoever this Jezebel teacher was, she was claiming secret knowledge that basically said, hey, go ahead, compromise a little. No big. Jesus loves you. You made a decision for Jesus, right? You know him. You accepted him sometime in the past. You worship him on Sundays. Let's leave Monday through Saturday to give a little back to the world, to fit in. Because following Jesus on Monday is costly. Costs too much. It's too hard. It's easy in here. Following him on Monday hurts me. Socially, more and more now in America, more and more will hurt you. Financially, I got a business. I got a reputation. I have needs. I have desires. I don't want to give up. Jesus, this is too costly. What's this look like today? What are the trade guilds in your world? How are you listening to this false prophet-like voice that says, you can, you can split your allegiance a little bit. Where is their compromise in my life? Where's their compromise? Only you can answer this. This is where you go to that Lord, search me. I have this against you. What do you have against me? No, not that. <laughs> right? What's the next thing? But what is he saying? What does he have against you? So here's what we do. Uh, we try to make a case for why it's okay for us to compromise. Don't we? Sure. Here, here's how it goes. Lord, it, it's just the way things are. Did you know that another, I looked this up, it was kind of interesting. Baal is the God of the way things are. The God of the world. It's just the God of the culture. This is it. This is how things work. He is the God of the way things are. And so when you say, it's just the way things are, the Lord's like, yeah, and why are you worshiping Baal? Why are you worshiping Baal? Lord, times have changed. We need to adapt to the new rules of society. We aren't worshiping Baal. We're just living in the world the way it is. This is the way things are. You have to compromise. My worship can't be only reserved for you. I will lose too much. See, Jesus, I live in the real world. You've had this conversation with you and Jesus. Pretty fun, isn't it? But you, you know, we do it. We're pretty serious. The real world says religion is religion and church is church. And that happens on Sunday. Nowhere else. Those things don't fit on Monday. Monday to Saturday is where business is business, politics is politics. It is what it is. It's the way things are. Why can't we just think, keep things separate? Jesus, haven't you heard of the separation of church and state? How about the separation of church and me? I don't want you messing with me on Monday through Saturday. I'll do Sunday. It works. Have you ever thought that way? 
Maybe not out loud. Maybe not with that specificity. But are you living it? Are you living this way? One scholar describes this as compartmentalization. It is the mean by which we maintain the illusion of a both and in our world. I can be both holy on Sunday and allow poison into my head on Monday because it's entertainment. It's separation of church and me. Jesus is for Sundays. Yet because he loves us, because the Son of God is standing in the middle of your life with his fiery eyes, burnished bronze feet, and says, no way. That secret teaching, that new way to interpret is not from me. It's not from me. That's twisting my words. I am against you in this. Now, don't just hear Jesus throw in that word and it's just going to hang there. Because what I've found, I don't know if you found this out yet, but when Jesus is against you and it's based in his love, you know what he lets happen? Stuff. <laughs> That's my really spiritual way of saying he lets, and it's incremental. He's very gracious. He's very patient, but he's after you. He will give you a moment to respond and then he'll ratchet it up and it'll bother you more. And then you're like, no, I, I just really don't. And he, and sometimes, yes, consequences happen in our world that are physical. Of course, we're not separated from our spirits or the spirit. There is a combination. The ultimate goal is for Jesus to join the two again when he returns. And so, yeah, you can't keep it. Part of keeping it on Sundays is like, well, that's spirit stuff that's in my world. Don't ever put any kind of evidence for God doing something in the world, in the physical. Of course it's in the physical. He'll let stuff happen. I'm against you. And what will happen if you keep living this way? What does he say about Jezebel and the people that are like Jezebel? And he says, her children. And use the metaphor of what the words he's saying, sickness, dead, like judgment. It's judgment. It's judgment, ultimately. It's if you say, I will mix my whole life. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. La, 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 la. I don't have to listen to what you're saying. Jesus is saying, yeah, you can. You have free will and I'll let you. But at the end of that, if you persist, I'll bring you also the result of that which is death. It's spiritual death, which is worse than physical death. It's a separation completely from him. And he says, look, I gave her time. That should strike you, that God gives time to repent. And then it's up. That should hit us. That should cause us to move. She didn't respond. She's got spiritual kids, generational, institutional sin, false teaching that God will judge. And the end result of this will living is death, separation from life, which is found in and only through Jesus. So what's it going to be? Are we truly going to stand before Jesus one day and say, nah, I just decided to follow my own way. Are we really going to do that? And I love that he says not everybody's in on this. As I thought about this, here's the thing. A healthy church has people that believe and people that 
don't. I don't want to be in a church that doesn't have people that are unbelievers. Because that's not a healthy church. That's a circle of the wagons. I only want to be around people who think like me. Because let's say even if, like let's say right now, if we had 50-50 in this room, I don't know what it is. 50% that believe, 50% that don't or like are in process. And then we got all 100. And we're like, good, now everybody believes. Now what? We need more people that don't believe. <laughs> that's our job. That's why we're here. I want to be in that. So Jesus points it out saying, hey, I know there are people there that do believe this stuff from Jezebel and some that don't. And so he just gives real simple things. And I love it. He says, I'm not going to put any other burden on you. No other burden. This is simple. It's found in me. Hold on. Hold on to Jesus, the one who conquers, the one who's wearing Nikes, who keeps my works to the end. I will give him authority over the nation. So we're going to jump into the next church. But real quick, we're not going to jump into a full understanding of that. But when he says that um, authority over the nations to rule and reign with him, this whole thing is so much more than just, I'm so glad I didn't go to hell. It's going to be kind of boring up here, isn't it? No. He has more than we could ask, dream, or imagine to rule and reign with him. I think we, I, we need our minds blown in this. And we're going to get a lot of that in Revelation. But so just, that's church number one. Trying to keep Jesus only to Sunday. Surprise, surprise, the next one's going to try to do the same thing. Here we go. There's only six verses for this one. Revelation 3, 1 through 6. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis, Thyatira, Winona, Sardis, La Crosse, Onalaska, Houston, Rushford, whatever. You, you, listen, hear. Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God. It's another picture of perfection, seven, but that is the Holy Spirit and the seven stars. Little dig there to Domitian. Ha, I am the one who holds the seven stars, not you. I know your works. Remember, the one with fiery eyes, the one with burnished bronze, the one who's the son of God, the one who has the spirit of God, the one who holds the angels. He knows. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert, strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you're not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. And here he does again. But you got a few people, just the same as Thyatira. I know not all of you. There are a few of you in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes. They will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers, Nike, will be dressed in white clothes. I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is not hard stuff. It's, that's why everybody preaches on Revelation 1 through 3. It's like, yep, I can get on board with having the right clothes and my name being in the book of life. And dead and alive, yep, I'm tracking, I'm tracking. And so it's, you're supposed to. It's easy stuff. So I want you to imagine the church in Sardis, they're waiting. And this, is a, this was a circuit of the churches. And so it came from Patmos and it's hitting the different churches. Daniel did the first three last week. And then we just hit Thyatira. And then the guy gets on his horse or donkey or camel or whatever, or maybe he's just running, you know, and he makes it to the next town. And he's like, guess what? I've got the letter. 
I've got the revelation of Jesus and Thyatira, your name is in here. And they're like, oh, this is awesome. And Sardis, your name is in here. Oh my goodness. That's a, what does he have to say to us? And so you start listening and Jesus is saying, you know, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Imagine if Jesus got up here, Pleasant Valley and said, hey, Pleasant Valley Church, people think you're a pretty good place, but you're actually dead. Amen. <laughs> we would be devastated if the Lord spoke to you, and this is what you're supposed to, you want him to speak to you. You want him to give you tough love, hard truth, but, and you know, sometimes you hear something like, you met, I bet people that were they're, they're immediately thinking through, is he me? Is he talking about me? Like a wife sitting next to her husband is like, it's you. He's talking about you. <laughs> like, you know, there were some elbows thrown, some looks going around the room of people. But it gets us to this place because people on the outside, not Jesus, but the other people around, they looked at Sardis and they said, man, that's a great church. One commentator said it was the biggest church of the seven and the wealthiest. They got money, they got people, they got programs, they are doing it. They're doing the stuff. And everybody's going, what a great church. And Jesus says, it's really not. It's dead. How do churches die? How might your faith be sabotaged? Jesus tells us, your works are incomplete. Half-hearted, insincere superficial, content with mediocrity. Dying. <laughs> That's how I read those. I was thinking about it. I was like, man, Jesus could be saying, you're keeping part of your life from me and I don't like it. I want all of you. So the great physician has just given a correct diagnosis and he's the great physician. So we know he's right. And those looks are being exchanged and some elbows are being thrown. But something else, just like Thyatira, Sardis does the same thing. We all do this. When you get caught doing something when you were a kid, what did you try to do with your parents? But she did it first. That's what I said about my sister. She made me hit her. Yeah. <laughs> That's like so ridiculous. I, I, I was so bad as a, well, yeah. I was so bad as a kid, especially with my sister. I, I was a really bad kid in class and got sent home with like the extra homework, the discipline homework. And I remember I came back and my teacher was like, where is it? And I was in third grade. My sister was in kindergarten. And I stood in front of the whole class. I looked at her and I said, my sister has it. <laughs> and she said, go get her. I went down to her kindergarten class grabbed her by the hand, took her to my third grade class and said, Amanda, where is my homework? <laughs> Awful. Awful. We make excuses. I got so spanked. Oh my goodness. I was in so much trouble for that one. That was just one. Um, but they make excuses too. And they're doing exactly what Thyatira did. And they said, Jesus, we got a good excuse. You don't understand what it's like to live in our world. Just think about that statement for a minute. 
People are smart. They're savvy now. They can cancel you. Did you know that, Jesus? They can be canceled. They know a lot more now than y'all did back then. Again, you're talking to Jesus, but just, we do it. We, we fall through. The church in Sardis and anybody else, including me, making an excuse is saying this. And it's another way of saying what Thyatira said, but it's this. Following Jesus on Sunday is tolerable. We can all get on board with that. People don't have a problem with those signs hanging up around cities. Look at it. It's just old, rusty kind of neon. They're like, yeah, Jesus saves. Cool. Following Jesus on Sunday is tolerable for everyone. On Sunday, I'm all in. I could do this for an hour or two, the most. Somebody asks me if I go to church. I say, yeah, I'm a churchgoer. I believe in God. To which the world is pretty astute and advanced. And they say back, don't we all? Don't we all? The real question is, which one? The God of me, my choices, relativism, power, money, reputation, comfort. Jesus, sure, why not throw him in there too? I believe in God. Good, good for you, don't we all? It's tolerable for the world and it's tolerable for us. And it was tolerable for Sardis to do the stuff on Sunday, but not have to do it on Monday through Saturday. We get to look good on the outside. Nobody's mad at us. We can swoop in with the crises. You know what I mean? Hurricanes, people who need help with food or clothing, immigration stuff. Like we can do the stuff where the world will go, good job, Christians. Well done. Way to not be annoying. Way to help the rest of the world. You actually are a helpful entity in our society. We can get on board with this, but don't you go and try to convert anybody. Don't you go selling this exclusivity of Jesus. It's unacceptable. Don't be telling us Jesus is the only way. Don't say that things are sinful that we've all moved on from. We know what the Bible says about that. But you know, we've got some new, more advanced thinking biblical scholars for you to help you in your old ways understand the new way to read those things. They will help you see that this book, that's a good book. It was written for its time. Written in a world where things were so different from now. George Caird, biblical scholar, says this of the church of Sardis. It was the perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. Ugh. I have trafficked in inoffensive Christianity. Is Jesus okay with this? I want you to think about the look on his face when he was saying these things. And don't do what we do, which is to think he's angry or disgusted. He's grieving. He's aching and longing for us. And it's with an immeasurable and everlasting love that he aches for us. So he tells us the truth. This is dead. <laughs> This is dead. And so kind of gives you several things right here. He just says, so wake up. You're in a spiritual coma. Wake up. Be alert. 
Be watchful. Strengthen what little bit you have left that you received from me. That's the huge part of this. And this is what I want you as we kind of finish. Don't think this is on you to somehow create faithfulness or to come up with the right way that Jesus will finally accept you. Remember what you have received. The grace that was given to you. I love this. What Michael Heiser says this, what you didn't gain from moral perfection, meaning you weren't perfect. And then God said, hmm, you're perfect. I'll save you. He says, so what you didn't get from moral perfection, you can't lose from moral imperfection. So if you have a rough day, you still believe that Jesus is the only way. It was given to you as a gift in the first place. Remember what you received. Repent. Turn. That just means turn. Turn to Jesus. Another word I've heard for repent is unlearn. Unlearn what you've been doing the way you've been living. He's real specific. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember what you've received. Turn Keep this truth. Repent. If you don't, I'll come like a thief in the night. Sardis had been taken as a city twice because they were kind of sleepy. Once one guy climbed, it was 549 BC, Cyrus captured the city by sending one guy up this crevice in the wall. Happened again in 218 BC. Antiochus the Great captured the city with 15 men. They snuck up the wall, took the whole city. And this was like a fortress of a city. So when Jesus says, I'll come like a thief in the night, they're like, you had to go there, didn't you, Jesus? You just had to bring that up. We know we were snuck into twice. But so there's, there's local context there. He's actually saying like, hey, don't let this happen to your faith. Don't let things come in. So how do we conquer? We'll just finish with this verse. You've had a few people who have not defiled their clothes. They walk with me in white because they're worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes. I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. Don't think of Jesus standing there over the book with your name. And he's got the pen right on the first letter. And he's like, uh, you, hey, you better... Or I'm, I'm, don't make me scrub this out. That's not how it works. If your name is in there, you're in Christ. It's kind of what he's saying. If your name's in there, I'm not going to erase it. But if you're living like this and mixing and doing the things that didn't tire Tyra and pretending on Sundays, but the rest of the week, you're just living like hell. There's no transformation. There's no fruit of the spirit. He's like, your name's not in here. Your name's not in here, thus erased. And so how do we conquer? Don't read this last part or any of this without gospel lenses. What does the gospel say? Here's what the gospel doesn't say. I better get cleaned up or I'm not going to be worthy to be dressed in white and have my name in the book of life and I'm not going to be saved. I better get myself cleaned up. No, 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 no. Get rid of that. To be dressed in white is to be clothed in Jesus. In his accomplished work. To conquer and be victorious is to receive the victory that he achieved on the cross and in the resurrection and in his life for you. To have your name written in the book is to accept the free gift that God has provided in Christ Jesus. It's all him. It's all him. I don't know if uh, many of you follow um, Tim Keller. 
pastor that I've enjoyed over the years and listened to, he passed away on Friday, pancreatic cancer. And uh, my wife actually sent me Friday morning, said, hey, I don't know if you know, Tim Keller's on hospice. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. And I looked up the article and it actually, an article came up that said, Tim Keller died this morning, went home to be with Jesus. And it's just one of those moments because another pastor, the first guy that hired me in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, had died the day before in a car accident. And then Friday afternoon, I went to meet with one of our sweet folks who has a few days. And so I was like, I'm listening. <laughs> I'm listening. A lot of times they happen in threes. It's weird. I don't know why, but God's like, I'm going to make sure you get this. And so I was listening, but Tim Keller uh, prayed a couple days ago, and I just love this. And worship team, why don't you guys come on up? He said this, God, I'm thankful for all the people who've prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. He did. Just a sobering thought to think about standing face to face. Let's pray. Lord, I have said this to you. Um, but Lord, as we think about this and Lord, really, this is about following you every day. It's, it's really the only way, Lord. It's about following you every day. And God, we want to do that and give our lives to you. As I've read about this amazing vision of you, I've thought about John and how he got to see both the walking around Jesus in Galilee and Jerusalem resurrected Jesus and then he got to see this awesome fiery eyed bra and I'm a little jealous Lord <laughs> just I've been talking to you about that a little jealous I, I want I want to see you Lord even as I was praying I just recently my prayers have been more um, tender and Lord, easy to get me to choke up and to be overwhelmed at the thought of seeing you. But Lord, my desire, I really want to meet you. <laughs> I know you, I belong to you, but I really want to meet you face to face. I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice. And we're in this in-between time. And these sweet folks in Thyatira and Sardis, they were as well. And so that's, that's encouraging because they were kind of in the same spot we are, of needing to be faithful in a world that wants us to compromise, wants us to mix and match, wants us to keep you in Sunday and out of their face and not a part of everyday life. But Lord, you're saying that all of life is yours and, and the only option is for us to follow you every day. So Lord, we, we just offer ourselves to you. We offer our hearts. We ask that you would search us and know us and minister to us, Lord, as we sing together now. Amen.